Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. As we read scripture this morning from Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. So we're in a a series on the Psalms, and we're relying on the Psalms as a vehicle of prayer. Um, uh, Again, admitting that, you know, we all maybe have a different relationship with prayer, and that the Psalms are this collection of prayers that have been the prayers of the people of God for centuries, right? That when Jesus picked up a book of prayers, he went to the Psalms, as we'll see this morning. And uh, so we've been relying on them and, and will over these next few weeks to help us think about, not just think about prayer, but to, to, to lean on them to uh, guide our, our prayer. And uh, today we will be in Psalm 110. Uh, I've shared with some of you before, you probably know this by now, I got twin daughters who are nine, and uh, a part of our routine is um, every night, just about, we read a book aloud together. And um, we, just recently, we finished a book called uh, The Rise and Fall of Mount Majestic. And uh, I, I got to be honest with you, uh, I call it family time, but really it's just an excuse for me to re- read a book that I want and, uh, and call it family time, right? <laughs> like uh, the kids are maybe along for the ride. I don't care if they're paying attention. I'm reading a good book, right? Um, well, well this, this week we finished one called The Rise and Fall of Mount Majestic by, I believe her name was uh, Jennifer Trafton. And uh, it was a whimsical, really fun sort of adventure. The, 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 the lead character's name's Persimony Smudge. And uh, she's, a, I think, a 10-year-old little girl uh, who lives on an island at the center of everything. There's a mountain at the center of this island that rises and falls once every day, like the rhythm of, of breath. And without spoiling too many things, if you choose to explore this novel, uh, this story, uh, you discover very early in the story that uh, there is underneath this mountain a giant. Giant uh, that's asleep, right? A sleeping, a sleeping giant, if you will. And uh, you can imagine what happens, right? Once, uh, for much of the story, there's denial. Do we believe this? But then you reach a moment where it's undeniably true, and then it's like everything about life has changed, right? There's no going back from the reality that we live on an island under which a giant is sleeping. And uh, what happens when he wakes up, right? And and I, I want to suggest to you this morning that. Uh, I think Psalm 110 is a, is a little bit uh, like that uh, sleeping, is, is a sleeping giant, if you will, in our experience of faith. Um, you know, it lacks, as Kristen read it for us, it lacks the devotional flair that uh, often draws us into the Psalms, right? There's no like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? 
There's new green pastures and still waters in uh, what we read here in Psalm 110. Uh, There's not, uh, maybe it's Psalm 91, right? Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow uh, of the Almighty, right? This sort of images of comfort and inspiration. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path, and we're, we're drawn into trusting God's direction. Or maybe Psalm 139, God, I thank you that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made this beautiful sort of promise of design in your life. Uh, None of those things are in uh, what we read this morning. And yet, the most quoted, uh, the most quoted passage from the Old Testament uh, in the New Testament, in the people of God living in the New Testament, is Psalm 110, specifically verse 1 right? Uh, it, it's, it's quoted seven times, alluded to some like uh, clear allusion, some like 15 times or so in, in the New Testament. Uh, you, you get the quote from Psalm 110 verse 1 that shows up a few times, but then also verse 4 in the Psalm that we read this morning gets a whole chapter in the New Testament. Uh, a letter in the New Testament by the, uh, uh, that we call Hebrews, chapter 7, spends a whole section of writing uh, tr- trying to come to grips Uh, with uh, verse 4 of Psalm 110. Clearly front of mind, right? In those first century uh, lives, people trying to live in response to what Jesus had done, where they went to make sense of that experience, was Psalm 110. It's front of mind even for Jesus, as he has uh, engages with religious leaders and they're sort of pushing back and there's tension and conflict, one of the places he goes explicitly to, to speak to them and, and help draw them into what he's doing is Psalm 110. And then uh, Peter, the disciple, uh, Peter, uh, on the day of Pentecost. So we've been sitting with the story of Jesus and Luke. The second half of Luke's volume is Acts, the beginning of the church. Uh, on the day of Pentecost, as the church is born, Peter stands up, uh, a crowd is gathered in response to what God is doing. Peter preaches a sermon, and one of the texts of that uh, sort of inaugural sermon of the church is Psalm 110. Again, you know, it makes me think, man, what, what is sleeping under this mountain, if you will? Right? What about this prayer uh, so captivates the hearts and minds of first century uh, Christians. Let's take just a moment and consider the content briefly. There's lots of detail in here. We could chase lots of trails that are fun. I think are fun, maybe a little nerdy. I don't know. Uh, lots of sort of uh, allusions and details here. We won't unpack all of those. So if you've been around some of this stuff, you'd be like, man, oh, Melchizedek and, uh, you know, all, all these kinds of things. You know, the Lord said to my Lord, there's all sorts of details here. I'll be happy to chat. Uh, about them with you later. But I just want us to kind of sit with uh, the the psalm as a whole and and consider what it draws us into. And I think the first uh, suggestion, perhaps, as to why, uh, apart from the details, this psalm may have been so formative in their early life at the church is because they, for for them, they recognized uh, that what holds uh, all of their life together and what actually holds the structure of the psalm as it's written together uh, is the word of God at, at work in the world, right? That, that for them, as they try to make sense of their life on the other side of all the events in Jesus's life, uh, that, that, that as they're searching for what is holding all of this together and what actually holds the structure of the psalm together is the word of God at work in the world. You, you see it, um, again, just in the physical structure. Verse one begins, the Lord says. So right off the bat, 
no introduction. We're pulled immediately into a world in which God is active and he speaks. Uh, the Lord says, and he, he speaks, and, and immediately we're, we're pulled into. And then we move a few verses into the prayer. And then it's like, it's like just in case we forgot, the prayer says again in verse 4, the Lord has sworn. Right? So everything in the psalm, it's like a trellis. Uh, everything that grows on this trellis um, is, is the truth. The, the truth that kind of holds all that together is that what is holding the world together is that God speaks. God, God says that his word is at work in, in the world. Um, in, in the Hebrew, the, the language of its uh, origin here, it, it's perfectly balanced. Like poetry is kind of, you know, symbols. You remember iambic pentameter. You're like, metaphor and simile was enough grammar for us. Please don't take us into any more. But uh, the, the psalm breaks out perfectly into 74 syllables in each of these stanzas built around the framework. The Lord says, the Lord has sworn. Right? He, he speaks we're pulled into it immediately and then almost as if acknowledging that built into the human heart because of sin and in our flawed sort of lives, we are prone to drift. We tend to sort of need mid-course adjustment, right? We, we, we can often start right, but very quickly go wrong as if acknowledging all of that halfway through the psalmist says again, just to remind us in this prayer, the Lord has sworn. I think sort of where we start, the first observation is that as, a, as a, a way to make sense of life, those first century Christians making sense of Jesus, uh, they go back to the psalm repeatedly remembering what holds their life together and what holds the psalm together is the truth, the, the, the dynamic sort of giant under the mountain here uh, that the word of God is a work in the world. He speaks, which raises the question, well, what does he say, right? As we pick up Psalm 110 to pray, what, what does he uh, say here? Well, well and, and I think this sort of helps us to sort of make sense of the fact, well, this is another reason why this Psalm would have been so, uh, again, front of mind as people in the first century tried to make sense of Jesus. Because what we find here is a promise. What, what God says when he speaks, what results is, is a king and, and a priest, that will, that will execute his judgment and righteousness in the world. All right, then when God speaks in this moment, this sort of creative moment, as he speaks here in Psalm 110, he addresses one who will serve uh, in this world as his king and priest, who will accomplish his purposes uh, in, in the world. The, the psalm is actually, we, uh, we call it a royal psalm, a messianic psalm, because we, we see in it anticipations of Jesus. Royal because it's, it's, it, uh, in its context, it's kind of a, a coronation, right? Even within the context, as a king would have been anointed, uh, this would have been a song, perhaps it would have been sung in that moment. God, would you bless, uh, would you be at work through this person that you uh, have raised up? May they accomplish your purposes in the world. But you can see that over time, uh, in, in anticipation of those promises, it starts to um, uh, be associated with, with the longings for a Messiah, one who would, in ways that all of the flawed examples previously had fallen short, one who would rise up and accomplish God's purposes in the world. And we feel that anticipation as we consider the fact that the New Testament church leaned into this prayer, specifically these promises that God would raise up a king and a priest. Again, lots of detail we could consider here, but I mean, we hear it in the first couple of verses. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter to rule in the midst of 
of your enemies, a king, one who would, one, one who would accomplish God's purposes in a broken and unjust world, but not just the king. Then the second stanza, verse four, the Lord speaks again, and this is what he says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, a reference to a story in Genesis. Um, and, and here in this moment, we, we, we sense that when God's word is at work in the world, in this instance, he raises up one who would, who would, who would serve as king, who, who, who would be God's power to, to rule and shape and guide life, but not just king, also priest, who would also be God's power to renew and forgive and, and invigorate, right? The, 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 on the one hand, uh, a king who would bring order and peace and justice and beauty, but a priest who would put people into right and whole relationship with the God who had created them. It's uh, these, these offices, if you will, uh, that occurred throughout the Old Testament, they would come together in this person that God would raise up, Jesus, this prayer, anticipation of one whom God would, would use his word in the world, would find expression in the person of Jesus who would, who would work his peace and righteousness in the world and would make people right with him. The king, the priest, right? On the one hand, giving structure to life that is fair and equitable and just, but on the other hand, giving life to that structure, putting people's hearts and lives right with God. Man, I, I don't know. Again, this is just a, a flyover here, but, but I, I hopefully we get a sense of the themes that want to like reverberate, right? The giant under the mountain, right? That, that, that they are rooting their lives as they pray in this moment in the truth that the difference in their life, what holds all of it together, is that God's word has gone into the world and he has raised up one who works righteousness and peace and who also puts us right with himself, that his word is at work in the world. Whatever else the world may be saying to you and me, this prayer roots us in the truth that God is at work. His word has gone out into the world. I don't know, man. Uh, what, a, what a prayer. Let me, let me tell you about my prayer, okay? Uh, we, we, uh, he was like, oh, that's great. I'm going to tell you about my prayer. I hope it's okay. <laughs> Who's this guy? I think he is, right? Uh, uh, you think that prayer is amazing. Let me tell you about my prayer. No, sorry. Um, so uh, one of our routines, uh, as well as reading in the evenings, let me get back on track here, uh, as well as reading in the evenings is uh, we, we'll often pray together as a family before we uh, step out of the house in the morning and then at night before we sort of drift to sleep. And uh, one particular morning uh, recently, we, we circled up to pray, and I'm like, you know, as much as, as, much as I want to say that we are blissfully at peace every time we leave the house, everything's in order, and we're just kind of gracefully moving through the house, that is never how it works. You know, everyone is scrambling, and we're all thinking about a hundred different things, and um, one kid is just sort of wrestling with the dog, and I'm like, please get your stuff, let's go, and you know, we're just we're scrambling to kind of fall out the door, and in the midst of that, all right, let's pray, let's pray, we circle up, who's going to pray today, right? I'm like, I'll pray, I'll pray, and recently I circled up. We pray, and I'm like, God, would you help us to sleep well tonight, right, at like 7 in the morning, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, the kids immediately, like, laughed. They're like, Dad. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, uh, they're like, it's morning time. That's, that's what you say every night, right? And uh, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. It still holds true when the nighttime comes, right? I want to be able to sleep well tonight, well, you can see what happened, right? So naturally what followed, man, every prayer since, does every meal, if we happen to pray like at a random time of the day, perhaps for some of you, uh, praying with the kids, inevitably when a kid prays, and God, help us to sleep well tonight, right? And uh, yeah, which is great. 
But here's the reality of that moment for me, right? I was clearly distracted, right? Which is, I think, not an uncommon experience. Life just happens. It fills up. We get busy. It gets routine. Uh, we get busy. We get distracted. Life feels overwhelming or perhaps underwhelming, and the dust sort of collects in our lives and, and filters into our prayers. In that moment, right, I wasn't present in that moment. I wasn't present to the God whom I was addressing uh, I wasn't present to the children whom I was lifting to his care that I wouldn't see for the rest of that day until much later, right? I, I, I was already anxious and worried about whatever was coming next, right? That even when we pray, we, man, we, it's so easy to sort of lose our footing, right? To, 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 to have our feet planted on all kinds of other spaces. And it's, it becomes, you can feel it, like even in the road, not that road is bad, but even in that moment, just a kind of lack of imagination. I'm just sort of caught up in the, routine busyness of my life and the distracted things that I may carry or you may carry. And into that sort of milieu, Psalm 110 right, speaks to us. That when, I, when I pick up the language and the imagination of Psalm 110, I am immediately transplanted out of all of that chaos and my feet are firmly planted on a mountain under which a giant is sleeping that tells me God's word is at work in my world. In the planet, in the nations, God is at work. In the humdrum up and down of my daily life, God is at work. Immediately in Psalm 110, I am, I am drawn into God's work in the world, his word that has gone out most clearly in the person of Jesus who is still working his righteousness in a broken world and making people right with him. We, uh, that, that book, The Rise and Fall of Mount Majestic, we, we were reading and there's, you know, this is a really fun collection of characters and some of them are leaf eaters, right? We bumped into them early, leaf eaters. And uh, they're like elvish types of folks. They live under the roots of the trees. And we were, we had, we were into a bit of the description of them and uh, by leaf eaters, you know, like, you know, they ate, Leaves, but my child stopped. She said, "Wait, wait, wait! I was picturing like leaves eating people. I don't know, right? Like leaf eaters, right? <laughs> like, uh, like what is going on, right? But, um, but I wonder if a bit of that imagination that is so easily crowded out in our lives, uh, if we don't find a bit of that here in Psalm 110, that as our lives just accumulate stuff, and stress, in Psalm 110, we're pulled into." almost abrasively, but we're pulled into the truth that the Lord has spoken and he is working his righteousness and making people right with him. And it was true then, it was true in Jesus and it's true because of Jesus now. I asked you to think of a simile or a metaphor. I think the imagination of Psalm 110 gives us a couple. Each stanza ends with a kind of an image. The first in verse three that uh, and you know, from the womb of the dawn, the dew of your youth is upon you. This imagery in, a, in, a, in an arid climate where moisture was of such um, a high, perhaps, value, right, that even the dew, sort of this expression of God's sovereign care uh, in the world, bringing uh, life and nourishment and hope to each new day, here is an expression of what it would look like for God to lift up one who would be at work in a world that would oppose him a world that would uh, crucify uh, him, that God would, would give him the strength of youth even in the face of opposition, that even in the midst of all that, God's work of renewal would not be thwarted. 
And then at the end, this other sort of beautiful image, verse 7. It's not where you would expect the psalm to end, right? This language of God would execute justice and drive out the enemies. And and, I mean, we expect a sort of like warrior image, right? Like a sword drawn, Arthurian, Arthurian, King Arthur-ish like imagery, right? Uh, But what we get is verse seven, from the stream along the road, he drinks and he lifts up his head. Man, what, what what a picture of security calm in the midst of a world full of upheaval and evil, right? This prayer rooting us in the truth that here is this image of a Messiah busy about the work of ruling and saving, kneeling to drink, lifting his head and setting about the work that God has called him to do. Well, what's it look like then for you and me to pray Psalm 110? What does it mean uh, for you? to pray these words. I I think it could mean a few things, but one thing I think it does for all of us is it roots our work in the work of another. All of the effort that you spend in all of your life now finds a much larger context. To quote the Beatles, all right, boy, you got to carry that weight. Well, actually, no, you don't. Right, this psalm draws us into the, all the effort and work that many of us do that is admirable and good and necessary. It situates that in a much deeper and broader truth that God's word has gone into the world and he is at work. What's that mean for you and me? That you don't have to carry the weight of God's righteousness in the world. What's it mean for your work as a parent or a volunteer in your community? or a disciple, or a disciple maker? What's it mean for you as an advocate for justice and fairness as you participate in those spaces in our world? What does it mean for you as a servant of the least of these and whatever spaces you may serve and give as our church here, representing all kinds of places, what does it mean for that work? Well, that work finds its home. Uh, the, The burden, the weight of that work doesn't rest on you or me doesn't mean there's not work to be done as a parent, neighbor, servant, friend, but it means that the burden rests on the shoulders of another. And every time we pray Psalm 110, every time I remember the Lord says, the Lord has sworn, I am immediately caught up in a world in which I'm reminded God is the one at work. And that's really, really good news. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.